Welcome to the SBCA Podcast Component Connection. Looking at how businesses around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in the construction supply chain. Now, here's your host, Sean Shields. Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast brought to you by the Structural Building Components Association, we are going to talk about construction efficiency. To say the residential construction supply chain is fragmented is a massive understatement. However, there is a lot of effort and capital going into consolidation as we bring together traditional silos. Today, we are joined by Margaret Whelan, founder and CEO of Whelan Advisory Capital Markets, who's going to shed some light on what may be driving that investment. Margaret, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Well, given the amount of valuation that you have done of component manufacturing and LBM operations over the last several years, and the knowledge that you've gained observing and researching the residential construction supply chain, I'm wondering if we can start by you lending some broader perspective on the investment going on with regard to integration in this industry. And I'm wondering if we can start by getting your thoughts on what you believe are the driving forces behind sort of achieving that greater efficiency in the construction supply chain. Sure. So we, I would say um, what we are seeing is a pivot uh, towards supplying customer, whoever the customer might be, with a service versus a commodity. So trying to be value add. And so, for example, about five years ago, my firm and I were representing the Integra team mm-hmm. as they were looking for a capital partner. We had a lot of interest from Wall Street, from financial sponsors, and also from some of the strategics. And it made a lot of sense for them to go with Louisiana Pacific. LP was trying to pivot to offering value add to their home builder customers. And Integra was the perfect solution for that, leveraging the LP brand and putting those two together. So I would say that the value add is what everyone is focused on right now, wherever that might come from and whoever the client might be. But certainly that that term value add, that means different things to different players in the market, right? But I, I love what you're saying as far as looking at this piece or all the pieces in the supply chain is not necessarily providing just the commodity. What's the cheapest I can get this widget at, but it's what else can I get along with this product that will solve my problems? Because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the problems that the customers are facing the residential construction supply chain seem to be getting more and more complex as we go along here, right? Oh, yeah. And it's interesting because everything from the uh, inflation and the um, volatility on the commodity side, just getting the material to where it needs to be is getting more challenging, valuing it, pricing it, um, and then separately engineering it for the product, whether it's multifamily or single family. Within single family, we're seeing a big pick up in the number of rental homes mm-hmm. that are being spec versus retail homes. Retail tend to have a lot more option upgrade elevation choices dictated by the consumer. So the, the proliferation and demand for rental homes is actually, I think, going to really accelerate the ability of value-add component providers to get ahead. Because I think if you're building rental homes in a community next to retail homes, you're going to see those rental homes go up a lot faster. Mm -hmm. Interesting. 
Well, in a way, then, that acts as a spur to the overall market, right? If, if one mm-hmm. piece of the supply chain is operating much more efficiently, suddenly everybody else wants that, right? Necessity breeds invention. Yes. And yes, absolutely. And cash is king. You know, you're thinking about it the way I think about it, which is where's the value at? What's the, uh, what's the investor going to see? And it's absolutely about just turning it as efficiently as possible, reducing the waste, in- increasing the uh, the time at which the home can be delivered and get to cash flow. Okay, so I love that. Let's get into that a little bit more. Um, you know, from your experience, what are all the things that are capturing the investor's eyes? They look at different pieces of the residential supply chain right now. Are, are there some common themes that you've been able to pull out? What investors are looking for is, is opportunity and differentiation. And you see as much opportunity as you can imagine in residential construction because it's just such a big market and it's been growing exponentially for the last couple of years. It's also incredibly fragmented. Mm-hmm. Uh, the builders themselves have concentrated a lot. In fact, in, in my career in the last 30 years, we've seen big hole builders go from 10 or 15% market share to over 15% in some of the bigger MSAs, um, and even higher than that, 80, 80% um, in some markets where they're very concentrated because of acquisitions. There's good and bad to that. It means they have a lot of influence over their suppliers, which can cause them to um, exert negative influence and push for a lot more pricing power or better terms. Uh, there's also positives, which is that the providers of the components that they need can set up factories and know that they're going to have viable demand. Yeah, that is. There's always that uh, that push and pull, right? Is there's always that question of like, mm-hmm. can you get it for me? Yes, if you will consistently need it, I can ramp up and provide that that quantity. If you you can assure me that it's going to be there. Mm-hmm. So I, that made me curious as you're talking about that with this this consolidation. Obviously, one of the big players in that is efficiency, right? Not only mm-hmm. do you have the capacity to to give me the product I need, but can you do it in, in the most efficient way possible? Because again, everybody's sort of looking to drive down the costs and looking to drive down the cycle times and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That drives me sort of this question about integration, right? There's There seems to be this desire then in seeking efficiency to drive more of the traditional silos together so that they're working more in harmony. And I'm wondering sort of what have you seen through the work that you're doing to to move in that direction? Yeah, definitely a lot of optimism and, uh, and also a lot of room for improvement. I think that if we stay, take a step back, there's way too much improvisation on the job sides. Mm. You know, if Boeing built airplanes the way we build houses, we'd, none of us would be flying at all. <laughs> the situation <laughs> and travel situation would be even worse than it is, right? There's just too much improvisation because even though we describe big builders as high production, it's not high volume or high repetition. And you need repetition to really leverage the component side of the business. The other thing is because of the improvisation, there's too much waste. And I don't believe that there's a housing affordability challenge or a labor shortage as much as there is a a lack of process. Because I think if we had a better, more transparent process, and more efficiency along the way, you wouldn't have the waste. The National Framing Council, I think they still estimate that about a third of the material that's purchased for each home ends up in the dumpster out front. Mm-hmm. It's pretty depressing, it, right? It in is. an environment where ESG is so important, the environment is so important, and the consumer who's paying for that waste, it's very material. 
to the value of the home. So I think there's a lot of room for opportunity. And I think that there are players that are seeing the benefit. You know, we were Turkey Kramer in Central Florida on their sale to Pulte a couple of years ago. And Pulte has told us, and our client ICG has told us that it was just a really symbiotic, thoughtful relationship. They're ben- Pulte is benefiting nationally with every home they build from what they're learning from ICG. ICG has access to growth and capital and stability now that they may not have otherwise had. It's allowing them to grow their platform up and down the East Coast. So I think the partnerships are very important. Getting buy-in from customers, from suppliers can really de-risk the growth that's ahead of us. You know, one of the other things that you said that that I found interesting is is this idea of differentiation, right? Investors are looking for companies that not only have opportunity, but have an ability to differentiate themselves in the market. Can you talk a little yes. bit about like what you, you know, ICG is a perfect example, I think, of a company that was really seeking to differentiate itself and its market. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the lesson learned there? Like what should or what can companies be doing to sort of show invest, potential investors how they're differentiating? You only want to be doing this to demonstrate some value to investors if you plan to sell the company or if you need capital, which is when my team and I get involved as trusted advisors to a lot of these business owners and founders. But ultimately, you you have to be providing value, right? You have to be useful to somebody in some capacity. And I think what they were, what ICG was doing very reliably and Integra and Rainey and all these different folks we've represented over the years what they were doing very reliably is demonstrating that they were useful. So they could take an order for whatever, forty, fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 kit, depending on the size of the house. They could take the plans, reverse engineer them, reduce the waste, build the house in 3D first to iron out the kinks, then build it in real time and really get it up more quickly. So not just reducing uh, waste, but reducing the number of days without as much improvisation. It's a lot easier for MEP to go in right after the frame is up, get the house uh, weatherproof more quickly so you're less likely to have delays. So I think it's more important for your members and my clients to think about how they can be useful versus how they can attract investors. Because in a lot of cases, they want to stay independent. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, let's talk about that for a second. So, yes, uh, taking a step back, let's say not every component manufacturer out there who wants to make a difference in their market is is necessarily looking to sell themselves tomorrow or uh, bring in a, a huge infusion of investor cash. Although mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are few component manufacturers out there that would be like, no, I do not want your dollars right now. But mm-hmm. if this is the way the market's going of moving towards differentiation, market opportunity, but also showing greater efficiency on the job site and in the process, reducing cycle times. What advice you would give to a component manufacturer who is not looking to sell right now? Just sort of what are the types of things that they should be focusing on that sort of fit the pattern of, of let's say, the, the component manufacturers you have worked with uh, that, mm-hmm. that investors find value in right now? Sure. I, I like that question. I think that what they should be thinking about is within their market, what does their customer need and what is the competitive dynamic? And then how do they solve for that? And and it really is different around the country because we represented TrustFab recently in Phoenix, Dean Reyna, who you and I know well, mm-hmm. on their sale to US LBL. And in that case, they're a trust manufacturer. They're not installing the product. They have a long-term relationship 
with Levelline, a, a local framing company that was doing the majority of their framing, but not all of it. And so that's different in, to in some parts of the country where we've represented some of these companies and they produce the components, but they also offer a fully installed product. Mm -hmm. So it's really a function of what's valuable in the market. But I think that it's very important for a company that's thinking about a transaction, realizing some value, crystallizing the value they've created, maximizing the value in the multiple, uh, to have a lot of transparency in the business. So I always recommend to my clients that they have a strong CFO or controller who's got real controls in place that they know as they're bidding for jobs, what their input costs are going to be. We don't want any of what I call autopsy accounting, <laughs> you know, where you're getting your your lumber bill comes in and you realize you're losing money on every job. That happened a lot in 2018 and started happening again last year. You really have to get ahead of that and you need a good finance person to do it for you. Bigger companies can hedge their risk to commodities. Smaller companies have, don't have the ability to do that. So usually they're just raising their prices more frequently or they're putting some kind of escalator in the contract mm -hmm. cost plus to make sure that they're actually realizing the profit that they deserve. The other thing that's very important if you're thinking about selling is to have a reviewed or audited financial package by a third party, an independent auditor versus a local uh, in-house CPA. That's something that the investors are going to need. It's a component of what we call QOV, quality of earnings, and it'll slow you down later if you don't have it. You're also vulnerable without it because what you want to be able to do is position your company with a, a long run average EBITDA number that the buyers can value that cash flow stream and give you a multiple that's attractive. That's a lot to dissect there. I mean, I, I think that's extremely valuable advice. Thank you, Margaret, for that. At the, at the end of the day, though, what that tells me is that companies today need to be more savvy about how they think about their financial performance, how they document it, the person they're putting in charge of that. And some of this is also data management, right? They're not just mm -hmm. keeping good books for somebody else to look at. It also should be a very valuable tool for themselves, right? So that they can mm -hmm. constantly be measuring where are we at compared to the market, compared to what our expectations are. It allows them to cast out future financial performance better if mm -hmm. they have better data, yeah. right? Forecast, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, that's what investors are going to be looking for. Sometimes the investor, the buyer comes in, they want to buy 100% upfront, but often they're looking for a structured sale where they want to buy a majority position more than half, but they also want to have some kind of an earn out over a couple of years. Hmm. And the way the earn out is valued to the seller is that it's a multiple of the EBITDA. So you need to be sure that you know what the multiple, what the EBITDA should be. Mm -hmm. Of course, a lot can change if housing starts get very volatile or input costs are, are escalating, but you have to be able to manage that as best you can. Most of my clients have KPIs, key performance indicators, and they're looking at those on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. It's very important to be able to say to an investor or buyer, this is what I thought my performance was going to be, and this is where it came in. This is where I was wrong. This is where I was right. This is what I could have done better. This was what was completely sidetracked us mm -hmm. because that's valuable information for the seller to have and also the buyer. So Margaret, last question I have for you. 
and I apologize, I didn't prepare you ahead of time, but certainly there's a lot of news coming out about like housing starts slowing. Mm -hmm. It's important to, to, I think, point out every chance we get that it's slowing, not stopping, not going in reverse. It's just that, you know, 4% growth versus 8% growth or whatever it's been, right? It's still growth. Mm -hmm. But certainly there's, there's a lot of talk about we're not going to be experiencing the same situation we've been experiencing for the last few years. Do you get a sense that there will be a change in sort of how investors are, are coming to market for the next couple of years? Or do you think it'll still be very strong for the foreseeable future? Um, my crystal ball is, is not any clearer than anybody else's. I wish it was. <laughs> Having said that, it's, it's kind of my job to have an opinion on these things. And I've been a advisor to the industry, a trusted advisor for three decades. So I've been through a lot of cycles, as you can imagine. Yeah. I haven't been through all these rate cycles where we're all hand-wringing for months and years, quarters, waiting for the Fed to raise rates. I kind of like that it came at us so fast. Mm -hmm. I like that they raise so sharply. I laugh when I read in the journal every morning, the Fed's trying to orchestrate a soft landing. They have never successfully orchestrated <laughs> a soft landing, right? It always feels like you're uh, you're losing gas in the, in the middle of the air and you're coming down pretty hard. <laughs> and it doesn't really feel any different this time. Having said that, we, the supply dynamic where you have so few finished lots so few speculative loans, mortgage market is so much stronger, more transparent than it was in the GFC or coming out of the SNL crisis. I feel like this is going to be a soft landing. It does, it's not going to feel like it because it's so sharp. But I think that next spring we could be starting to grow again. Hmm. We're in a recession. People are talking about going into a recession. We're already in it. We're going to see negative growth. But that's okay because we still have good margins and good balance sheets that we can leverage to get through this. I love that. Uh, that's one. It's a great encapsulation, but that you make it sound like that ride won't be all that painful. I, I, I love that. I don't think it'll be that painful. Yeah. Well, Margaret, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been very insightful. My pleasure. Always great talking to you. And I will see you in a couple of months at the show. Absolutely. Well, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give this podcast a favorable rating and share it with others. Also, consider subscribing to SPCA's Component Connection podcast on whatever platform you use most. That way, you'll immediately know when we publish our next podcast. As Margaret said, if you want to hear more from her on this topic, be sure to attend her education session at BCMC in Columbus, Ohio on September 15th. This has been a Component Connection podcast brought to you by SBCA. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, send it to podcast at sbcacomponents.com.